Good morning, Southlands. It is great to be with you today. Coming to you again through just an incredible gift of technology. I gotta admit, I am really, really missing you guys. I was looking back and the last time that I actually preached was March 8th, seven weeks ago, and that was the last time that we gathered together in this room. And so I definitely hit a point this week, um, I know we all have been, of just like, okay, I'm over it. I realized uh, last Sunday as I watched a new documentary called The Last Dance on Michael Jordan and his last championship with the Chicago Bulls, I had been looking forward to that documentary for weeks because there's nothing on sports. And then I knew it was really bad when after the documentary, all the sports shows like Sports Center were doing commentary about the documentary. Uh, a team that won 20 years ago, that is the world we're in. That's how bad it is. Uh, that that's where sports commentary is. There's just nothing going on with sports. There's lots of ways in which we are feeling this. And I want to just pause, though, uh, to preach God's word this morning and to encourage us that we're not alone, that Jesus is with us, that he has given his word to us, which is a sure and steadfast anchor for our soul. And this morning, we're going to jump back into Romans, our our series on the book of Romans in chapter 13. And it is just a timely text that I think uh, has much to say to us in this season. And so church, be encouraged. God is with us. He's even sovereignly orchestrating our sermon series just to help us uh, through such a time as this. And so I want to ask this question just to help prepare us is, have you been consumed with thinking about the government lately? I know I have. Uh, Like never before, I'm not particularly uh, a political geek or a, a guy who watches the news every day. But in this season, I've been watching press conferences from the White House, then I go look to see what Governor Newsom has said, and then how is Orange County applying it all? What's it all mean? What is the government telling me to do? And can someone just please tell me, can I go surfing again or not? And I have just been consumed with um, trying to follow what is going on and what is the government doing? What's it requiring of us? But I think The question is, are we paying too much attention? See, we're very aware in this season that the government uh, has authority over us. But are we paying too much attention to that authority? Because don't get me wrong, Romans is actually going to tell us to pay attention. It's going to tell us to obey our authorities. But it's going to do so as it reminds us that our primary concern is not with the kingdom of man, but with the kingdom of God. That the kingdom of man is actually subservient to the kingdom of God. That we, our identity is not primarily as Californians or Americans or even global citizens, but church, we are the citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And Southlands, I want to tell you that the kingdom of God It's not in crisis right now. No, the kingdom of God 
is doing well. There is peace. There is abundance. There is health. Jesus is still on the throne. He is still ruling and reigning. And so let me pray for us this morning, and then we'll jump into our text. Father God, we thank you that you are with us, that you promise to continue to shine your face upon your people when they seek you, that your presence will be felt in times of distress. And so God, I pray, would you help us to lift our eyes, lift our eyes from the media, lift our eyes from the kingdom of man and to look to you. Jesus, would you help us to see your kingdom clearly this morning in your word by the power of your spirit? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, picking up in Romans chapter 13, verse 1. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right. <clears throat> And you will be commended, for the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for the rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. And if honor, then honor. This is the reading of God's word. And the big idea that I want us to see clearly this morning is that the kingdom of God is above over and working through the kingdoms of man. <clears throat> Twice in verse 1, it says that the authority of earth, governing authorities, they have been established by God. In verse 2, it says that they have been instituted by God. And so the question we need to ask is, if God is the one who establishes the governing authority, how do we relate to it now as a church who still has our primary citizenship in the kingdom of God. Theologian John Stott gives us four ways that the church can relate to the state. And we've seen that the, the first three ways throughout history have not gone well. And so Stott says that the fourth option is really the one that we need to look at and to consider this morning in chapter 13. The first way that the church relates to the state is through Erastianism. The state controls the church. The second is theocracy, where the church tries to control the state. The third option is Constantianism, which is a compromise in which the state favors the church, and the church makes some accommodations with the state in order to preserve its favored status. But the fourth way 
is partnership. The church and state recognize each other. They respect each other and the distinct God-given responsibilities that each entity has. And they encourage each other. They collaborate together in fulfilling these roles. And so I suggest that Paul is giving us a view towards how to partner with the state as the people of God this morning. And so my first point is that citizens of the kingdom of God submit to the kingdom of man. And this might surprise us. It might be shocking to us that we're actually told to submit to the kingdom of man. But verse 1 says, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. And verse 5 tells us that it is necessary to submit to the authorities. And Paul gives us three reasons that we should submit. The first one is it's right. It's been established by God. If, If we believe that God is sovereign and that he has put leaders in place and he has told us in his word to submit, then that's what we should do as the people of God. Secondly, it's wise. The the state enforces right and wrong. It says, do do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right and you will be commended. For the state doesn't bear the sword in vain. And so God uses government to bring justice. And we do not want to be on the wrong end of the sword. And the benefits for us are is that the government does us good. It it helps protect us. It serves us. It it builds roads and highways. We benefit from the government. Another benefit is that we avoid the wrath of God. And last, we live with a clear conscience. And the third way that we're benefited by our submission is, as Tim Keller says, it's fair. It's their job is to rule, and it's our job to submit. Three times the text says that God uses governing authority to serve us for our good. And I don't know about you, but I am so thankful in this season for our government, for our leaders and our politicians, the president, the governor, the the mayors, the the heads of of the county, who are all working and collaborating uh, around the clock often little sleep. They are giving of themselves and sacrificing and serving uh, to lead us and to protect us. I'm so thankful for many of you in this church who are first responders, who serve as police and, and the fire department. I'm thankful for our medical professionals, the doctors and nurses. Thank you for those of you who are in those fields and, and thank you to the government who has those entities in place for the good of the people. We receive the benefit, and so we should be willing to submit, even paying our taxes. I love how practical the Bible is. And so those of you who get cranky about paying politicians, I'm sorry, it's biblical. Look at verse 6. I'm teasing, but Paul Surely has Matthew chapter 22 in mind here, where Jesus says, pay to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. But Jesus and Paul affirm submission to the government. And this is a big deal, because remember the context here. 
This is not a good government that Paul is, is writing this letter under their authority. Rome was a place that was in power when Jesus was crucified. Rome and, and Nero persecuted Christians severely. Christians literally had to free Rome in order to seek safety. And eventually even Paul is martyred at the hands of the Roman government. This is not a good government, and yet, they say, seek to submit to its authority. And so this, this begs the question, are we always supposed to submit to government? I mean, is this a, a carte blanche order that the rulers of the world can do whatever they want, and we are supposed to go along with it? Not exactly. It, it, it's important to know the limits of what Jesus says. See, when the Pharisees come and they question Jesus, they're in, in Matthew 22, they're, they're trying to trap him. They know that if Jesus says, no, don't pay to Caesar, that he will be in trouble with Rome, that his ministry could be ended because he would be arrested for standing in treason against the king. But they also know if Jesus sides with Caesar who actually considered himself as a god, was worshipped as a god, that if Jesus sided with him, that he would be going against the teachings of Scripture. And so Jesus brilliantly threads the needle. And he says, no, but submit to the kingdom of man. Pay to Caesar's what is Caesar's. But of course, don't worship Caesar. Give God what he is worthy of. And that is our worship. And so when it comes to choosing between the kingdom of man and the kingdom of God, church, we always choose the kingdom of God. But where possible, we submit and we respect and we honor the government. And this was what Peter makes explicitly clear in Acts chapter 5. He's called in, he's brought before the ruling authorities, and he's told to quit preaching the gospel, quit talking about Jesus and his resurrection from the dead. And Peter responds back. He says, there's no way we must obey God rather than men. And so church, here's the takeaway. Be subject to the kingdom of man. Pay your taxes. When it comes to the election this year, yes, it's an election year. I know we all forgot, but that will happen participate and partner in our system by voting. When it comes to the census, don't go all crazy and go off grid. No, respond and, and put in your paperwork for that. We partner and we submit. Give the government honor and respect. But church, lift your eyes and worship God. Because you are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. In this world of COVID-19, don't put your hope in the government. Put your hope in Jesus Christ. Don't watch the news and the numbers to the point of just driving you deeper into anxiety and fear and despair. Because Jesus is the true king. He is with us. And he will see you through. He is sovereignly working over this for his glory 
and for your good. So look to him. My second point is that the kingdom of God legislates love for the blessing of the kingdom of man. Look at verse 8. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And so after Paul has just got done telling us to pay all our debts, to pay our taxes, to owe no one anything, to be free of debt, he now points and says, but there is one debt that you will never be free of. That is the debt to love your neighbor as yourself. And again, the words of Matthew 22 come to mind. Jesus says that the law is fulfilled when we love the Lord our God with all our soul, all our heart, and with all our mind, and then our neighbor as ourselves. He says these are the greatest two commandments. And the law is fulfilled when we do these things. Church, after we lift our God, eyes to God and his kingdom, we need to lift our eyes to our brothers, to our sisters, to our neighbors, to our city around. My football coach used to tell us that we needed to get out of the mirror room and into the window room. See, in the mirror room, all you see is yourself. It it leads you to becoming self-consumed and to navel-gazing. And I think our current uh, situation of sheltering at home, being isolated, has lent itself to this. It's so easy for us to just be completely consumed with our emotions, how we feel, what our challenges through the day are. And we need to lift our eyes and look outward. We need to get into the window room. We need to have a vision for our neighbors, the people on our street, our family, the people that you're on Zoom with. You need to have a view for them and for their good and their thriving. Our world is never going to be the same. It is forever going to be changed, and I think it is a long time before we will be gathering together in any kind of significant size and numbers. And so the temptation in this season is for us to give over to doubt and despair. It's to actually question the things that God spoke to us early on in this year. See, when we came into 2020, there was just a bubbling sense of faith and anticipation at Southlands. We were praying and asking God for revival. We started the year the first Sunday baptizing people. We had a sense that many more people would come to know Jesus this year, that we would continue to baptize, that we could continue to see the church grow and the gospel go forward. And so our temptation in this season is that we can actually doubt that. And say, oh, there's no way that those things could happen now. We could be lamenting the death of dreams. But I would say, church, no, we, we lift our eyes. We see that God is still on the throne, and that gives us the ability now to lift our neighbor. This is a season actually to move forward. See, people are hurting. They are in despair. 
But God has legislated a kingdom of love. And so even in crisis, the church rises up, it responds, it moves forward, and it seeks ways to love our neighbor. I don't know if you can remember, but in our uh, entryway, there are big banners hanging with kingdom cultures that we as a church here at Southlands that we try to live into. I know you haven't seen them in a while, and so I want to remind you of three cultures that I think are going to be especially important during this season. The first one is bold witness. Who is it that you are telling about Jesus? Church, right now, who is it that you are praying for? Who is God laying on your heart? Because people need good news. They are looking for salvation. We just started an alpha group here uh, via Zoom. And we have people signed up for that because people are seeking. They want to understand and know who God is. They want to understand what the Christian faith is. And so this is a season, not actually to step back, but to step forward, to be bold. And so proclaim Jesus' name. Secondly is radical generosity. And yes, people are going to have financial need. We are going to need to love and to come around and support each other through this season. But I don't know about you, but I definitely hit a point this week where I wanted to throw my computer out the window. Uh, Zoom, this thing that a month ago, I didn't even know what it was. Now I know what Zoom fatigue is. And, and I'm reading articles about that. This is a real thing. And I found in myself that it was becoming costly to continue to pick up the phone, to get on another Zoom call, to reach out and to connect with people. And church, I just want to say, yes, we are going to have to be radically generous. We are going to have to find ways to actually pour ourselves out to still connect, to love, and to serve each other. And so I'm asking you to dig deep. We've had over uh, 20 people sign up for life groups in this season. Church, people are coming and looking for community. And so you need to be generous with your time and generous with your reserves, your capacity to engage because people are looking to connect and we can help them in that. Third is risky faith. I think in this season as things begin to open up and just even as I'm preaching on this text about government, listen, I don't think that this, that we're in a case right now where this is about the government infringing upon our religious liberties. I don't think we're there. I think every area of society has taken a hit. And so as society begins to open, as we're able to gather in groups of 10 and eventually 50, Church, I want to say we need to be risky. At the point that we're able, in respect to what the guidelines are, we need to move out and connect again. We need to come back together. We need to gather. And that will take courage. It, it will take risk. But I think it's just we need it and the world around us needs it. We need to connect and to love each other. And so move forward in risky faith. And continue to be creative. I love the different ideas and the, the ways that our staff is working and people are working to connect and, and to build community in this time. And so keep going, church. This is a season to be creative. It's a season to press forward and find new ways to proclaim Jesus in his name. 
All right, coming to a close here, point number three. God continues to establish his kingdom through the holiness of his people. Let's pick up in verse 11. It says, and do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. And do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Paul says, understand the present time. Wake up from your slumber. Salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Aren't these words for such a time as this? Is it this encouragement? And this is what theologians refer to. This salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Theologians call this the already and not yet. It's this proclamation that Jesus has saved, he is saving, and one day he will save in full. Jesus' death and resurrection won victory over sin, Satan, and death. He has inaugurated his kingdom, and the kingdom of God is now breaking in, but it is not here in full. The decisive battle has been won, but the war continues to wage. And get this, Jesus invites him, invites us to join him in the battle. That we would put on the armor of light. The eight-year-old kid in me just loves this imagery. This imagery of that we become knights in the army of Jesus, taking forward this legislation of love, seeing the kingdom go to the ends of the earth. It's an incredible picture. And so how is it that we do this? It says, by putting aside the deeds of darkness. See, we do this by becoming a holy people. By becoming righteous. And, and this was the other thing that as we actually began 2020, that the elders were praying into. We were praying for revival, and we were praying that God would make us a more holy people. Because we knew for revival to come, for the seedbed to be prepared, that it would take us as a church community, if God was going to be able to do all through us that he wanted to, we would have to become a more holy people. And Paul, in this list, deeds of darkness and areas of sin that need to be taken off, that need to be put to death, and we can summarize it as sins of addiction, sexual sins, and social sins. And we know that through this crisis, these things are rampant and creating so many problems in our homes and in our world. Sins of addiction, people are turning to substances to cope. Sexual sins, pornography is at an all-time high. People, uh, I've seen statistics anywhere from 15 to close to 20% of increased pornography viewing. 
It's a real problem socially. Already stats are starting to come out of China of the divorce rate as the country begin to open up. Guys, this is a season where Satan is trying to have a heyday. And we need to be a people who stand firm, who actually put off darkness, who actually seek to become holy, who press in. And so what is it that you are struggling with right now? What are the sins that are knocking at the door that you are in danger to becoming enslaved to again? Is there sin prevailing? Here's what I want us to encourage us to do in this season so that we can actually put sin to death and put the armor of Christ on. First, I want to encourage you to put aside the deeds of darkness. And part of that is by reaching out and asking for help. This is not a season to isolate. See, that's what the enemy, one of his main tactics is he tries to isolate us and get us alone. Don't do that. Don't enter farther into the darkness. Don't just say, oh, it's just too much, so I'm just going to take a season. I'm going to give myself to this, and then it'll be better in the future. No, reach out for help now. Phone a friend. Zoom your pastor. Sign up for a life group. Seek community. You were never meant to do this alone. And so battle sin in community. And secondly, would you clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. See, I know that this sermon can be weighty because there's this call to love, to risk, to step out, to give more of yourself in a season that you're feeling depleted. And, and now there's, there's this burden that you also need to become more holy. But church, let me remind you of the words of Paul in Romans. It, 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 it's a word of grace. See, we're indebted to love, because Jesus first loved you. So it's actually no debt at all. Paul reminds us that Jesus went to the cross for us. See, he fulfilled in full the law. He fulfilled the legislation of love. Jesus has done it, and he has offered his spirit to you. He has given of himself so that you could stand before God and be righteous. And so this invitation to love is not a burden upon us, but it's an invitation to remember Jesus' love for us, his saving grace of us, to remember the good news of the gospel. And so what we need to do is just simply respond. It, it is simply come back to the throne of grace and say, Jesus, would you forgive me? Would you help me? Would you save me? And would you give me your spirit? so that I can put the deeds of darkness to death and I could put on the armor of light and I could stand with you in righteousness as your kingdom comes in full.